Hello, world. Uh, we are live on Angular Air, and uh, my name is Kent C. Dodds, and I'm your host. Let me turn on the light. Whoops. Um, and uh, I'm joined by two special guests, Paul uh, Kozlowski. <laughs> I know yes. I can't say your name. Is that right? Kozlowski? Yeah. Kozlowski. Anyway. Perfect. was good. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, he's uh, employed by Amadeus, but he works on the Angular projects. Um, and then we have Roderick Haddad, who's a CS student uh, currently, and, and he actually interned with, uh, with Google to work on the Angular project. So we're super excited to have them. Um, my name is Kent C. Dodds. I work for Alianza, and uh, I run this podcast. So uh, let's go ahead and get into, um, oh, just a couple of announcements before we get into the show. So um, our next show is uh, just next week. We are doing weekly shows, and this is with Ju Julie Ralph, Andres Dominguez, and Zan Thrash. Um, about testing with Angular. So we'll be talking about end-to-end um, -end testing and unit testing, um, all the goodness that you uh, know and love about Angular testing we'll be covering in that episode. And then, uh, just, as always, to stay up to date, uh, follow us on Twitter and Google+, and check out our website, ng-air.github.io. And, uh, yeah, that is uh, all of our regular announcements. So let's jump into things. So. For each one of you, I have a question. Um, how did you get involved with the Angular project? So, uh, Roger, why don't we go ahead and start with you? All right. Um, well, I started using it in one of my projects at a startup I was working in, uh, and then I started helping, uh, connecting actually to the IRC channel on Freenode for the AngularJS IRC channel, and helping people there, um, just chatting with people and talking about the project. And then I started watching the, the Angular repo on GitHub, started helping out with issues and pull requests, and then started sending my own about the, the things I cared about, I guess. Uh, so started in IRC, then moved to GitHub. Cool, so it sounds like you were very, like it was just kind of an organic um, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, the, I guess how I got to know Angular is by looking at other people's plunkers where they had problems and helping them figure it out on IRC. Um, yeah, and, and just looking at the issues that interested me on GitHub and commenting on them um, or trying to sell pull requests to solve them. Cool. So how did you actually land your um, internship with uh, the Angular team? Uh, that happened in NGConf 2014. Um, I actually have a talk called Angular Behind the Scenes that I did at last NGConf where I talk about how I got my internship. Um, it was a mix of showing them stuff that solve the problems they already have um, in, in like a creative way. Uh, I, I go in that in the talk and also uh, I also I had some requests I wanted to review with the team so that's how I got to interact with them in person and they were like hey do you want to join another intern and I said yes and the, from there it was a regular Google process to get an internship. Awesome, cool, thanks. Uh, so uh, so oh. the, uh, contributing on GitHub and like they knew my name before meeting me in person, so getting noticed on GitHub def definitely did help. Cool. Oh, awesome. Uh, thank you, Roderick. So, uh, Paul, how did you get involved in the Angular project, and how long have you been involved? Okay. So it was pretty organic for me as well, and it's kind of I was preparing for this uh, hangout today, and I realized it was over three years ago uh, when I was like looking for a framework for myself, and like. Reviewing the usual, you know, suspects like Ember, like I, I don't want to mention other names, but like Angular was the only thing that made sense for me from the very beginning. Um, so I started to dig into it because it was so good, but at the same time it felt a bit magical, and I don't like magic in computer science. Um, so so started to hang out on the on going like a mailing list, like Overflow, ERC, and and those kind of stuff. And I guess at one point I started to answer more questions than ask uh, because people kind of noticed it, and I got a proposal to write a book. Uh, on it, uh, which I did with uh, Peter, which is leading 1.4, like the Angular one right now. And I guess from from this point on, like everything snowballed because of, of the book. Like I knew the the, the team, so Mister was reviewing the book. Igor was helping us with the sample application. Um, then the conferences started, and like uh, I mean, I was kind of getting closer to closer and to the team. And at one point, like when my company decided to use Angular. Uh, and at the same time, kind of contribute to it. Not only you know, just kind of get the open source, but also give back to the community. I, I kind of knew what I'm going to do. So this is this is my story. <laughs> cool. Well, I know we all 
appreciate your contributions, both of you, uh, to the Angular project. Can you tell us about the first contribution that you ever made? We'll start with Roderick. Uh, the first one was a change to the compiler, actually. Really change. Uh, it was uh, Mishko had added uh, uh, support for uh, like ng repeat start, ng repeat end, like it's having a directive have a start and an end, so that it could apply on multiple elements. But he did just implemented it for attributes, so I wanted it to also work in other types of uh, directive styles, so in classes, comments, and uh, uh, element names. And that, so that was my first contribution, changing the compiler. And that pull request got rejected, <laughs> but but the reasons were good. And in hindsight, I see why. Uh, it, it spurred a good discussion with Igor about it, uh, and um, I, but I learned so much from it, and uh, it, it was my way of exploring the, the the code base too. So that was my first contribution, uh, my first pull request really to the project. Awesome. What about you, Pal? I don't think I remember, but I'm pretty sure it was some kind of unimpressive documentation change or something like this. <laughs> so, so I definitely didn't start with the compiler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Roderick makes you look like a uh, so, some some guy. Whatever, <laughs> I'm doing the compiler. Like, <laughs> I mean, can jump into the compiler. Yeah. I've, I've done a lot of documentation changes for sure. Like after that, uh, so. Well, and, and those documentation, like, we diminish that a little bit, but documentation is very valuable um, because uh, more developers are going to read that than they read the source, right? So um, that's that's also very important. Um, so not to diminish that, but I, I should probably go to GitHub and, and find your first contribution to the Angular project because I'm sure it's a lot more interesting. Um, or may, maybe not interesting, but it's kind of fun and nostalgic to look back at uh, the first contribution to uh, a library or framework. Yeah, it is. So, um, so what about uh, contributions that you guys are particularly proud of, um, like, or or something that we might um, just give you a high five for? Either one of you can, can start. I guess I'll start since that's what we've been doing. Uh, my my biggest contribution, I guess, that I'm proud of is during my internship. Um, I got so. So just before I got my internship, a one-time binding landed in Angular, and then so my biggest contribution was re-implementing one-time binding and making interpolation more performant. And so, so just giving you numbers, we had this benchmark with 8,000 spans with interpolations in them, and that was taking about 60 milliseconds for for it to render. And with my uh, request, which is number seven seven zero zero. It got that down from 60 milliseconds to 20 milliseconds, so that was like a 3x speed. Um, so yeah, I guess that, that was the biggest one, uh, making interpolation faster, um, and in the process re-implementing one time binding. Cool, high five! <laughs> Thank you, uh, Pal. What about you? So like there are several ones that I remember. So maybe let's start with the the most scary one. So like <laughs> last February, I was actually visiting uh, Angular team in, in Mountain View. Uh, I thought it would be just kind of you no know, friendly chat, you know, coffee drinking, or like I don't know, like would be relaxing. Uh, and then like arrived there, and like the second day, I was like pairing with Mishko on the compiler of Angular 2. I totally didn't know what I was doing, um, but I kind of survived. It got merged, so so it was uh, it was cool. Uh, but like more seriously, I think what I would like to people to remember is that um, kind of everyone sees contributions as pushing code, uh, but like people don't realize how much time we spent like actually not writing any code, but just going over the issues or like helping uh, on on the various support channels. And so what I would like people to remember me from is like all the all the time I spent on the on the mailing list on the Stack Overflow. Uh, which I think, like at one time with Peter, was like literally spending hours and hours just you know helping out people. And I think it's like also like as much as important as, as actually pushing code. Uh, I like that. I, I think um, people like me who are using this framework and and um, I, I have I have like maybe two commits in, into Angular Core, but um, yeah. So I I haven't contributed a lot, but. From my perspective as a user of this framework, I really appreciate people like you, Paul, um, 
who just spend hours on Stack Overflow or IRC or Gitter or wherever in the issues um, help us use this framework effectively to deliver value to our companies. I think that's incredibly valuable work. So yeah, thank you for doing that. And and as uh, thank you, um, I I think that is valuable for us who have benefited from that to turn around and uh, try to help others uh, in the same way. And we all kind of learn and grow together. Um, which yeah. That's kind of like um, I don't know, maybe cliche, but like it's it's a good thing. Yeah, but in the end of the day, I think we are all together into it. Like we are <clears throat> all part of the same community. So like if you help others, you are growing. Then next contributors and you know or guys like you will like understand the framework and then like create some library, so other people can use it. So like I think like you give to the community and you get back as well. So that's kind of you know positive circle. Yeah, that's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, help. Uh, I remember so much time spending on IRC helping people, or just helping advance or progress or close issues. That's very satisfying. Uh, so they're definitely big contributions to the project. It's not just about code. Yeah, actually, uh, we wanted to talk about uh, about that, those kinds of contributions um, in in the show. So, uh, what? Um, yeah, what? What are the different ways that people can contribute to Angular? Okay, so maybe I will start since I started to talk about non-code contributions. So I think like yeah, like for for everyone, the the, the you know pushing uh, a code to the core or like hacking on the compiler is kind of holy grail of, of contribution, right? This is what comes to your mind. But there are so many ways where you can kind of engage with the community. And like, I mean, I've got so much respect for all the people that are like animating the community, you know, doing conferences or stuff like you are doing like right now. Uh, just getting people together and making them share the knowledge. So this is huge. Uh, then on the repository itself, there's so much work. I mean, there are like, we, we mentioned all the documentation fixes. And, and this is just pretty amazing like the, uh, how good Angular documentation is because of all those external contributions. Uh, but then there is all the issues, and there are some people coming and saying, oh, here's the issue. Uh, someone opened it, but it's hard to reproduce. So I will actually spend time and attach a plunker to this so it's easier to figure out what's going on. Or you can actually read through the issue and say, like, OK, um, this doesn't look like a valid. Actually, you've got a problem in your code, and so on and so on. Uh, and it <clears throat> might seem like a small contribution, but it's, it's actually for us as the, the uh, maintainers like a huge help. Uh, because if we spend like need to spend like half an hour on each issue just to figure out uh, what's going on, it's it's kind of sums up to like huge amounts of time. Um, and and then there's obviously a code which we, I guess we will be talking about more. But like yeah, there are so many ways of like this this community that, that around the framework and uh, is so huge that there is uh, there's so many ways of of, of getting uh, involved. And when I'm thinking about the contributors that like recently joined the, the core team. Actually, most of them started by, you know, hanging out on GitHub and commenting on issues, and like this is how many people started. So, um, what what about the? So, you're talking about the helping with the issues. So, if I'm if I'm creating an issue, like I think there's a bug in Angular, uh, what would be the ideal uh, issue um, if I were to to write on an issue? What would that issue contain uh, to help right. the Angular core team? Right. So I think this is kind of topic close to my heart because uh, I'm spending a lot of time on GitHub, like just like looking into the issues and um, maybe. Uh, so the the best bug report uh, is the one that we can reproduce and understand quickly, uh, because the currently the we've got like a weekly patch releases Angular one, which means that if we can understand the problem and it's actually a bug that is fixable it's quite probable that you are going to get a fix like in a few days. I mean, it will be released, uh, you know, merged to master uh, release and so on. So in, in terms of like uh, the whole release process, we are ready to handle uh, issues very fast. So what stops us from uh, actually getting things, you know, like fixed in master is usually uh, just actually reproducing the issue. And uh, like, it seems like when, when you are sitting in front of your application and you see the bug, it's like totally obvious for you what's wrong because you've got all the context. You know what the version of Angular you are using. You know what is the browsers that you are using. Uh, you know what, how to reproduce it. 
you know, like what the external libraries that I use. You, you've got like entire context. And when you like simply go to uh, GitHub issues and it's like, okay, this doesn't work in my application. Here is the code snippet. Uh, you are kind of taking away all of this context from us. We, we just kind of don't have this information. And we need to go back and forth to people and say like, okay, what's the actual Angular version that you are using? Uh, what's the browser? Uh, are you using an external address, any extensions in your browser and so on and so forth? Uh, so like the, the, the perfect uh, back report for us is actually a live reproduced scenario with Planker or like GSPDL or any other tool that you uh, that you prefer using, which has, uh, because it has everything, it, this has it's all the context that is needed, right? And I understand that it takes time to, to kind of like strip down uh, your problem to those essential bits, uh, but it, this is so vital. I mean, this is actually what helps us to, to fix the bug because like really if we understand it, we can fix it very, very fast. I see. Yeah, I, I think, and lots of times when you're in the like in the process of reproducing this bug, you find out that it was actually something else uh, unrelated to what uh, you were expecting, or or you discover another bug or something else. So I, I think that process of of reproducing the bug in a small, simple example um, is uh, can be very useful as well. Yeah, I call it like magical planker effect when actually you you are about to report a bug. And we realized that no, it actually is not a bug. It was like some other interaction and so on. So yeah, definitely. I think it helps you and help us in the end. So it helps everyone. Mm -hmm. So I, I read a, a tweet, and I mentioned this in another episode. Um, but uh, Sindre Soros, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but anyway, he he tweeted uh, like two weeks ago uh, something that I thought was really good. He said. Um, when you're about to make an issue on one of my repositories, uh, the best thing that you can do is instead make a pull request with a failing test, um, and even better, like something that will pass that test. But um, so, like, the, I think there are different levels of good issues, uh, where the lowest is like my app is broken, and and I use your framework, and so I'm going to blame your, your framework. Um, <laughs> but then. A little bit better is trying to explain some of the context, the versions and stuff. Even better than that is an example. And then um, better than that is a, a failing test that demonstrates the bug and then a fix as well. And so I, I think that like, if you feel like um, you viewers, uh, if you feel like that you're not like um, up to the task of actually fixing the bug yourself, um, see if you can figure out a way to, to write a failing test. And if you don't feel like you're quite up to that, uh, at least reproduce it. Um, it does take a little bit of time, but uh, I, I think that if, if it's important for you to get the bug fixed, then that's the, uh, one of the best ways that you can um, uh, like ensure that your bug gets fixed fast. Yeah, definitely. Like We would love the bug reports in the form of failing tests. This would be a total dream. Um, it's like we, heaven. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we had like a couple of them in the past, but it doesn't happen too often. But mm -hmm. we would, uh, this would be like ideal situation, definitely. Yep, and also there's like almost there, we've passed four thousand tests, unit tests in Angular, so like you have a lot of places to inspire, to look and get inspired on how to write your tests. Uh, so it's like if you're writing a new test and have no idea how to write it, just look around and see how other tests are written. Uh, to try to reproduce your scenario and see if it's failing. Yeah, I I have yet to actually do that um, in other people's libraries. I I should do that, but for my own libraries, it's actually insanely helpful to write a failing test before I actually try to to solve the issue. So, um, awesome. Is there anything else that, about issues um, or like contributing from that perspective that you guys want to uh, mention or talk about? Um, I wanted to say that contributing isn't just about opening issues and pull requests. It's also about helping out with the existing ones. Um, we, I mean, we, we have over 1,000 issues and pull requests combined. So uh, the, the, slow, low, the smaller that number, the better. So uh, e even if the contribution is just about, hey, you didn't give enough information, so just helping out with progressing an issue uh, is great. Yeah, because like uh, I think like people don't realize that like even small help is like a huge help for us because like we've got like you know very limited number of uh, maintainers and then we've got like hundreds of thousands of people actually using the framework. 
So we will never scale, we will never be able to, uh, to process all the things ourselves. So like, you know, like even if you spend like 15 minutes uh, on one issue and like, you know, try to figure out what's going on and you multiply it with the, the number of people in the community, I mean, this is just huge. We'll never be able to scale to this, uh, like inside core contributors uh, set of people. Yeah, it's not because you can't close an issue. You don't have that button. That means you you can't help progress it. I mean, as a maintainer, seeing just oh, I think this issue can be closed. Like this is that's great. You just go go over it, see it can be closed, and then say thank you, and then close it. Yeah, actually, I remember there were some people that were coming and, and commenting, hey, yeah, this is invalid or this can be closed. And I was like following some of those people, like literally half a day just closing all the issues because they did like such a good analysis. So yeah, this is definitely helpful. Yep. Huh, that's uh, actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about um, just identifying issues that can be closed that are uh, non-issues. Um, or uh, yeah, that that's interesting. I think. Maybe uh, what if we started something in the Angular community where everybody who uses the framework just spends five minutes every single day looking at some issue and identify or like trying to reproduce it or something? That would be pretty cool. Let's do it. Every I don't know Friday afternoon when you're out ready to go home from work and you're bored, um, yeah, just close it or or look at an Angular issue. We're we're starting that. That's a thing now. Hashtag. Friday afternoon, Angular, fix it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. Uh, okay, so what uh, contributing uh, through documentation? Um, what like? What I, I remember the first ngconf, um, I was um, really inspired by Igor's uh, uh, community talk, and, and um, I was you know like. At the time, I, I just felt like such a, a newbie at programming in general. I didn't feel like I could really contribute to anything. Um, but then I, um, I think it was Igor who, who mentioned to me, like, like or, or maybe mentioned in his talk, that documentation even is something that's fairly simple to do and um, can be very um, helpful. So what uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about what the process is of contributing to Angular. So let's go ahead and start with, with documentation. That's something that is much less daunting task. Um, for people to do. So what, what's the process of, um, of contributing to Angular through documentation? Who wants to go over it? Yeah, go ahead. I'm talking way too much. OK, so, so I mean, we have this, this handy uh, edit button in all the documentation changes, uh, in all the documentation pages, sorry. So if you go on the website and you see a typo or something, or, or even uh, something doesn't that a documentation that isn't true, but usually let's say it's just a typo, you just press edit and then we take you to the GitHub uh, edit uh, edit like the editor. Then you can change it and then do the commit from there. Or you could if if you have you can clone the repo uh, on your computer and do the change. Uh, the end result is having a commit with that change, uh, and your commit message should follow our standard of commit messages. So if you go on the AngularJS repo, there's a contributing.md uh, file uh, that's in the root. And we have this guideline on how you should contribute. And one of the main things is having the commit message uh, follow our standard. And then we use those to, to generate our documentation and so on, uh, our, our changelog. Yeah, we use those to generate our changelog. So, so um, once you have that commit in your fork, you just uh, send a pull request saying, hey, I did this change. Uh, somebody will tell you to sign the CLI, which is like a small process. Um, and then your PR will get reviewed by someone. Like, okay, yeah, this is good. And then they'll, like a documentation change will get merged very easily because usually you just read it and you're like, yeah, that makes sense and you merge it uh, as a maintainer. So it's really not that complicated. You just have to create a commit like you've been doing anywhere else following our commit message guideline sign the CLI for legal stuff, and then uh, you just merge it. Cool. It, it, um, I have done that, uh, gone through that process a little bit, and yeah, it is like, it's super easy. It's, it's not that uh, difficult to do, even if, like, especially if it's just a typo or something, you just edit this, and, and the GitHub ed editor is actually surprisingly good, um, and so uh, especially if it's just like text changes and stuff like that, then um, just like go crazy. I, I remember 
uh, the first ng-conf people were complaining about the uh, poor documentation. Um, and I, I didn't quite agree. I didn't, didn't feel like Angular documentation was that bad. But um, anyway, like, in, before you go and complain about Angular documentation not being good, um, first find out why it's not good, and then go fix that. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, and like, like Roderick said, I think like you don't actually have to clone the repo um, to to push a fix like that. Uh, that's kind of a, a simple tech change, uh, which is really nice. Um, but what if what if there's a case where for some reason I do need to clone the repo? Um, it, how difficult is the process for me to uh, clone the repo and uh, test something? So like let's say I wanted to make a change to the uh, um, documentation site itself. Um, and not just some some text in the documentation. It, is that a difficult process, or or how do I how do I do that? Well, if it was the documentation itself, I think uh, you wouldn't be contributing to Angular, but the generator of documentation, which is Djenny, or Jenny, is that right, Pavel? Yeah, I think so. And uh, Jenny, yeah. Yeah. So so you'd be doing that change there, uh, not in Angular. If it, you were changing the documentation website. I like the the architecture of the documentation, but if you're changing other stuff in Angular, like uh, fixing something in scopes or something like that, so doing a bug fix, um, then you then you would clone the repo, and uh, in our README we tell you how to build it, how to run the tests. Uh, you should use Grunt Auto Test to to facilitate um, your workflow so that every time you do a change, it runs your test, and then you can see if you broke something. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, so, so yeah, if you were doing a bigger change, not just documentation, if it was a fix, you probably should also introduce a new test. Um, so the, our, our testing directory just mirrors our source directory, so it's fairly easy to follow. And also, if you're introducing a new feature, uh, you should also add tests to it. But if it was like a refactor or a style change, that it, it doesn't really matter uh, for tests. And once you send the pull request, you should explain what your changes. Um, just imagine how I see it is you just imagine having a, a beer with with a maintainer, and like trying to explain to him what your changes. And then I mean the code is there, so they could see we could see the change and try to understand it. Yeah. So maybe like just add to this, like when I when I'm let's say looking at the pull request and like I'm about to merge it or reviewing uh, it will be, will be merged. Like what we are looking for for the bug fix, uh, it's like a couple of things. And uh, the first is like the test, really, because like I, I don't think like we would merge uh, today any bug fix without the associated test. Like we would write it, it ourselves if there is none in the pull request. But if I can see in a pull request a test uh, that is kind of self-explaining because it kind of it, it's small, it, it shows the issue. Uh, and the our uh, continuous integration server uh, is saying that it's green, right? Because like every time you send a pull request, we run the whole uh, suite of, of like automated tests, so both unit tests and uh, integration tests. Uh, we are running some style checks and so on and so forth. So uh, as soon as this thing is green and I can see a new test inside that makes sense for me, this is already like very good indicator. Uh, that, uh, that the, the change is actually good. Uh, the other thing that I'm looking for is like a minimal set of changes. Like, I mean, let's say sometimes people want to do like a send a pull request which has the bug fix documentation change and like a small new feature, you know, kind of sneaking in. And, and this is like, uh, this is so hard to review uh, and we will like uh, probably, you know, like it will take way too longer than necessary. We will ask you to split it into smaller comments anyway and so on. So, uh, and the last thing is like uh, the, you know, like really kind of bookkeeping. So like we need to make sure that it merges cleanly, that it follows the uh, the comment message. And like I would like to say that like I, I know that some people are kind of upset about our uh, like strictness of the on the comment uh, message format. But we are not doing this to annoy you. Uh, but actually, we are really using the the the, the change log, like the, the commits from the from the repository, to generate a change log, all the like information about the breaking changes and so on. So it's like really part of our process. It's not like annoying for you. So just to sum up, like 
other tests, make sure that the Travis CI is green uh, and try to do minimal changes. Uh, and though, like this will like uh, increase the likelihood of your pull request being merged like enormously. Cool. So uh, out of curiosity, you mentioned, uh, Roderick, there, there are about 4,000 unit tests. Um, how many tests by the CI server, out of, just out of curiosity, between the unit tests and the integration tests? Sorry? I didn't get your question. Uh, how many total tests are um, run by the CI server uh, with um, the integration and unit tests? So, so there's four, uh, we passed the 4,000 unit tests. There's the documentation tests, which are like 100 and something, and the end-to-end -end tests, which I'm not sure how much they are. But then we run them in like six different browsers, like Chrome, wow. Firefox, Safari, and IE, 9, 10, and 11. Uh, and like for Angular 1.2, we also run it in IE 8. Uh, I, I, like if you, if you multiply them all together, uh, it, it passes the 50,000 tests. My goodness. <laughs> So like six browsers. Oh, we also run them with and without jQuery because that changes the behavior of Angular internally. So we want to make sure that all the tests pass if jQuery is present or not, and in all browsers. Uh, and different uh, how, how long does that take the CI server to do? Like that's got to take more than a couple minutes. I think like the CI is like taking way more than like twenty minutes right now. Like so, all those tests and integration. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but like I mean like don't get like you know like don't get scared because like the actual unit test which is the, the first line of defense and like really what you want to get uh, running they are like pretty fast on my laptop I can like run entire street in like less than 15 seconds uh, and like then when you change something karma will rerun them you can uh, make sure that you are running only a subset of tests uh, so it's like actually very very easy to work in the this kind of continuous testing, like really test-driven development mode. Like we really have good tools for this. Uh, it's not like you have to like run entire check that we run on the CI server. You don't have to wait like 20 minutes after each. Uh, so, yeah, usually when I'm developing something, I just write my tests and I isolate it. So we're using Jasmine. You could use IIT to just say run this test. So it takes just uh, like five seconds just to run it, the test every change you do. Uh, and then once that test pass, um, then I would remove that IIT and it would run the whole, all the unit tests, which again takes, takes like 30 seconds or so. Um, it's more the end-to-end -end test than the documentation test that takes a lot more time, uh, which you sh usually don't run while you're developing Angular. You just run them at the end. And that's what CI is for anyway, right? So. And, and I just looked on Travis. We we have like four jobs that run together. Uh, the, the, like in the last build, the, the one that took the most is 15 minutes. So you, you still get pretty good quick feedback if you send the pull request. Uh, that's cool. That's, yeah, that's wild that you run all those uh, like 15,000 tests. That's like crazy. Good for you guys. Uh, yeah, that's way, way cool. Um, okay, so is, let's see. Is there anything else that you guys want to, to um, mention to the community about contributing to Angular? Oh, actually, you know what? Before I ask for kind of the umbrella question, there was one other thing that I wanted to, to mention that I didn't think about earlier, um, and that is uh, blogging and doing other things like that. Um, that is a co contribution to the community as well. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts on blogs or, or like blogs that you would recommend or anything um, anything about that kind of contribution? Well, uh, I, I don't have anything like special to recommend. Sorry, but like I would just like to really say like it's so important. Like once again, like code is just one part of the story. Like getting people like we are sometimes so into like oh this is new feature or this is like you know this this bug fix that this kind of corner case. But like we are so into like fixing it that we sometimes like don't take time to communicate it properly. And like all those people that write the blog, oh, this is this new small feature. This is how why it was introduced. This is how you use it. I mean, th this this is actually what makes framework usable for all the people uh, outside. Yeah, I personally read, read any blog post that goes or comes in front of me that is related to to Angular. Uh, so yeah, it's it's always makes me smile when I see new content. Because I know that at the end it helps people, like the, the newbie people who are searching it on Google or 
or subscribe to some newsletter. Um, it, it benefits a lot of people. So, yeah, it's a big contribution to the community, I believe. Even if it's, like, constructive criticism of the library and so on, we, we do keep this stuff in mind. Cool. Yeah, I, I think that's why I end, like, how-to videos on YouTube or uh, whatever I think is uh, also really handy-dandy. So if you're into... If you want to contribute and you're not sure about contributing to the source, uh, contribute a blog post or a uh, YouTube video or something. I think that's uh, super useful. So, um, also another question I wanted to ask was about uh, contributing uh, contributing to Angular 2. Uh, those of us who enjoy living on the bleeding edge and, and bleeding all over our keyboards, um, <laughs> who, who, uh, what what would be the process if I if I wanted to get involved in the Angular 2 development? Um, what would I uh, what I do to do that. Okay, I can take this one. So uh, I think like in terms of process, it's like pretty much the same. So like we, uh, like all, all those all those things we're talking about, like there needs to be a test, uh, like a comment message, like a minimal set of changes and so on and so forth, like this, this still all applies. So <clears throat> then contributing to Angular 2 is like harder and easier at the same time. So it's obviously harder because it's a new framework, there's not like, not a lot of information, a lot of things are changing. Uh, it's a new language that transpires to like uh, Dart and, and so on and so on. So the, the barrier of entry uh, is, is kind of higher, at least like currently. But at the same time, it's so easier to get into it because it's so fresh uh, and things are changing. And there are probably so many uh, things that you will bump into when you try to like use it now that you will probably discover, you know, corner cases or bugs or like, uh, you know, the things that like create a friction when you try to write something. So it's so easy to propose new things right now. I mean, it's so, so easy to get involved somehow because this, this thing is just being created, it's being born. Um, so yeah, I would say like kind of harder and easier at the same time. So I would say like the, the best advice is like really try to play with it. Uh, and whenever you notice anything, like a missing documentation, a bug, a corner case, or uh, I think that kind of doesn't make any sense to you. Like, you know, discuss it on Gitter. We've got a very active channel on Gitter. Uh, and, and if people say, like, yeah, yeah, I was like, you know, I was bumping to the same and so on, just open an issue and try to send a pull request. And uh, I think, like, that there's just, like, the best advice, like, scratch your own each. Like, you know, like, whatever you don't like, try to change it. And, and this is the best way of contributing. That's a good way of, of comparing Angular 2 to the current Angular JS is that Angular 2 is less strict when it comes to contribution, but more rough. So uh, if you're adventurous, um, I mean, you, you, you'll probably learn so much just trying to contribute to it. Well, same thing for Angular JS. Uh, so yeah, if, you, if you, you're happy with uh, working with a rough project, then you should definitely try to contribute to it. Yeah, I think like I mentioned, just like the learning opportunity, like they, this is something we didn't talk about, but like all those contributions, this is like a, such a massive learning opportunity. Like, I mean, on, on, on so many different levels, I mean, on the, like the, 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 the tooling, the language, the framework, the people, like interactions and so on, this is just such a wonderful like learning experience. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that is kind of better to kind of speed up uh, the learning process. So um, one thing I wanted to mention when uh, sending a pull request uh, uh, to AngularJS, like one, th uh, one of the things I learned a lot doing so is about Git. Like I, I learned so much about Git tree based interactive. Like so, so I would, about like fetch versus pull, like I would fetch upstream then rebase against master that whoever was going to merge that pull request could easily merge it without any merge conflicts. Like, I wrote the code, so I would want to handle any merge conflict. Um, or also, like, if you have a, a commit and you want to split it in multiple commits about, like, git add interactive, I don't know if you've ever used that. You can interactively add chunks of code, like, to the staging and then commit those. Even if you've made two changes in one file, you could add part of a file. Like, these are stuff, like, now I use, I mean, I've used these concepts in other projects, and I just learned so much uh, by contributing to Angular. Uh, sounds like you're a bit of a git boss. <laughs> I, I, uh, 
Yeah, I just use SourceTree, I'll be honest. <laughs> Sometimes if it's just like a quick commit message, I can I can jump on the command line, no problem. But interactive rebases I've done before, but yeah, I'll, I'll just stick with my SourceTree. <laughs> that works for you. That's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, um, I just want to say thank you to you guys uh, for um, contributing to the project uh, so, so heavily and being so involved in that. Um, I, I just think people are uh, are greatly benefited um, because of that. So, uh, do you have any other comments before we go into um, some questions? Sorry. All right. Cool. So let's. Uh, we we did get um, two questions for from our Q and A. Uh, neither one of them is really related at all to contributing to. But uh, that's okay because you guys know Angular, and so uh, we can chat about these really quick uh, as well. So they're both from Harmeet from India. I think I said his name or her name, right? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, yeah, we'll just quickly go through the, these. So the the first uh, question is, how can we fetch cross-domain data from JSON? Very general question. So um, yeah, if you guys have any answers, uh, I'm sure Harmeet would be grateful. Okay, so like, yeah, I mean, I think this is like people are bumping quite often into those security protections, like built into a browser that doesn't allow you to like, you know, do cross-domain requests, uh, unless uh, the server is configured uh, properly. So you can have, you can actually configure your server so uh, the browser and server with like a special dance, like they will exchange headers, uh, and then uh, the browser will say like, okay, it's actually I can try to fetch things. So this is like what people refer to as cores. I mean, like there are plenty of articles on this and, and so on. The problem with the, uh, at least in the in the context of Angular 1 uh, with this is that we are still supporting IE9 and IE8 uh, in 1.2. And this uh, is, uh, the actually in, in, in IE you don't have like a, uh, you've got non-standard implementation of VKHR that kind of doesn't work with the cores very well, which means that in practice we don't support cores in IE 8 and 9. Um, so I think your best bet here is just like to really proxy on your server, like whatever calls that you want to make. Uh, because there are like techniques like a JSONP, which are kind of very smart hacks, but this is not uh, you, you just kind of can't do all the types of requests. So I think that the best advice, like proxy on your server, uh, kind of, it requires some work, but at least it works every time across all the browsers. Cool. Good answer. Um, so the other question is, how can uh, we can create our own plugin in Angular? And I think uh, what he's talking about is a, like a module library. Uh, and I, I can go ahead and answer this one. I, I've done this quite a bit, and then you guys can mention. Uh, so. Uh, I, I'm not the creator of Angular formally. I'm the owner, the uh, maintainer. The, the creator was Grant um, from Nimble, and he's awesome, and I'm really grateful for him creating this, uh, this awesome. It's actually very simple, um, especially with the uh, Angular module system. Uh, it's, it's just really easy to do. You just create a module. Um, you add directives and whatever you want to that, and then um, you export that as, uh, like, as some... Uh, distributable uh, file, so you have your, um, like, make sure you concatenate everything all together and whatever, make sure that you declare your module before you use anything on it. Uh, and then uh, people just, just use it by the, your module name. Um, and, and so there, there are some articles on, on how to distribute, or, or there's one article in particular I'm thinking of on, uh, it's called How to Distribute Your Angular Library, and uh, I highly recommend it. Um, and so go, go take a look at that. It's uh, by Ken C. Dodds on uh, Medium, um, but yeah, it's it's really easy to do, um, and it's it's great because it, you contribute to the Angular community, and there are tons and tons of uh, modules out there. You can go to ngmodules.org, um, and you'll find, just find tons of modules that, that you can look as examples. Uh, but do you guys have any other comments about that? Well, just only quick comment that like uh, I think like sometimes on the on the github will tell people like yeah you know maybe this shouldn't be uh, part of the core library and people are kind of getting uh, a bit upset because they've got the use case in front of them like they maybe saw the same use case in several applications and so on and so forth uh, but 
somehow like Angular from the very beginning was with the, the, we got this dependency injection container, which means that it's so easy to kind of partition your entire application into like smaller services that can interact together. So it's so easy as you explained just to create your own model. And we really don't want the, the core of the framework to grow into a mammoth that like does everything, but it's so heavy that in the end you can't use it. So uh, I think like the, uh, for us, uh, if something is not like uh, a use case that hits like really vast majority of people, uh, it's, it's a good candidate for something for the user land. Yeah, and then like if the something becomes really very popular in the user land, we can always pull it into the core, right? But like uh, let, let, let extensions are a really good way of like, you know, growing the capability of the framework. I think a good example of that is I18N uh, with the Angular Translate message format um, getting pulled into uh, Angular core. So. Exactly, exactly. Cool. All right, so last question. Uh, and this is just the general question that I asked uh, to my guests. Uh, and the question is, what tip would you give a brand new developer? So I'll go ahead and start, give you guys time uh, to think if you haven't already thought. Um, so. I'm actually in Philadelphia. I live in Utah, so I'm I'm visiting um, Philadelphia for Philly ETE. That's Emerging Tech uh, for the Enterprise, and I'm going to going to be speaking about Angular 2 tomorrow morning. Wish me luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> so, anyway, my my tip for uh, new developers is um, try to attend conferences uh, and. Uh, like if, if you can't, th this is my story. So um, I I don't have like tons and tons of money to go to Zolling. So what I do is I just blast um, all the conferences I can find uh, with proposals and hope that I get to speak because then I get to go to conferences for free. Um, and if you don't feel like you're up to speaking at a conference, speak at meetups and and um, and you'll get comfortable. Like it's it's really just a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, so go to conferences and and if your employer for education, then that. Like, hopefully they will pay for you to go to at least a conference here because um, I think that's important for your uh, personal development. It's also just a ton of fun to uh, go interact with people who have different ideas and different experiences from you and, and uh, yeah, to develop uh, those kinds of relationships. So that's my tip. Any, uh, why don't we uh, start with Roderick. What's uh, your tip? Well, to, to add on yours, I, I would boost meetups a lot more. Like, meetups at least. I know in Montreal that we have a ton of them. It's just so great uh, going through them and interacting with people. Um, yeah, so so a tip I would give to a, a new developer that will that wants to contribute to an open source, in my case, would be uh, to to just watch the GitHub repo. Uh, so GitHub has this functionality to watch a repository, and any activity that would happen of it on it will end up in your notifications. And uh, I think by default it goes to your email, but you can turn that off. And I know, starting with Angular, one thing I did was watch the repository. And every once a day or every two days, I would go on my notifications and just click on the, the, the activity that seemed interesting to me and just mark the other stuff as read. Like, I didn't, wouldn't care about them. And that was a fast way for me to get familiar with all the stuff that were happening in the framework that interested me. Um, so uh, I've heard stories of like people who want to get involved in Rails so read, till they read all the issues that exist that are open. Like you don't have to do that. Just just watch it and, and open the notification that that interests you. And um, even if if you don't end up contributing, you get familiar with the project, and that helps you if you're using the framework a lot. So. Yeah. Cool. Good tip, uh, Paul. Uh, so I think like the, it's funny because like I think the the most important qualities in my eyes like are not like directly related to software development. So. I would say, first of all, like when you are choosing the project to contribute, like choose something that is important for you, that like you really use at work, or you agree with the philosophy of this project and so on. Don't don't jump into a project because it's the most popular or like gets the most visibility. Really work on something that is important for you because then you are going to stick with it. Mm, then when you watch the GitHub repo and start to interact with people, like remember that even we are kind of not interacting together face to face, or you can hide behind the kind of, you know, animals internet. Like, remember that you're talking to, like, a live people behind the scene. There's someone that is reading this issue. You, like, really interact with the, like, you know, live maintainers. Uh, so, like, take time to communicate in a clear way uh, and, like, focus on the technical issue. 
because like if you really got into the community, we are going to meet face to face somewhere, and really you want to be remembered as the one that is very constructive, uh, and they not the you know the someone that kind of screams a lot like and so on. Uh, yeah, you get it. I get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're the uh, guy who did this. <laughs> uh, and the last thing is like you know like give it time. I mean, it's sometimes it's uh, it's probably hard to start and get into the community, but it takes years time. And actually, like with the uh, good attitude and time, uh, you can. I mean, we can do wonderful things. So. Uh, there's no reason to not have like a great contributions if you just give it time and uh, focus on the clear and technical communication. Great, thank you guys for those tips. Um, do you guys have anything else? Um, well, here let me. I'll, I'll just close with the general announcements and then um, I'll ask you if you had anything else that you wanted to just mention. So again, uh, we're meeting with Julie, Ralph, Andres Dominguez, and Zan Thrash next week, April fourteenth. Uh, same time, same place. Uh, uh, we're talking about Angular and testing, so that should be an exciting episode. Um, and then, um, as always, follow us on Twitter and Google+, and uh, check out the website to keep up to date with uh, the latest and greatest things coming from Angular Air. And, uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's it for me for announcements. Uh, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to say before we close up? Um. I want to say that so currently we have 1,215 contributors on the AngularJS repo. Uh, so let's get that number even higher. And uh, also on the Angular slash Angular, which is Angular 2 repo, we just have 61 contributors. So uh, let's get that number up as well. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, um, we'll just uh, wrap this up. Thanks, everybody, for watching uh, or listening. And uh, especially thank you, Roderick and Paul, for joining us to talk about contributing to Angular. And not just Angular source, but the Angular community as a whole. So thank you, guys. Thank you. It was a pleasure. See you guys. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye.